a kingdom invitation, what is the most spectacular invitation you can ever remember receiving from somebody? Okay? Think about what's the most special, spectacular invitation that somebody gave to you, whether it was an email, whether it was a something that came to you in the mail, whether it was a text message or, or a verbal invitation where somebody invited you to something that you were really excited about. Okay, I saw that, uh, that Dude Perfect. How many young people like Dude Perfect? I saw that they were giving out tickets to the World Series. They were inviting people at maybe Ditch Sporting Goods, at a sporting good place, and they were inviting people to the World Series, free, free tickets to the World Series. How happy would you be if, if Dude Perfect invited you to sit with them in their box at the World Series with the Texas Rangers? Go Rangers, right? Yeah, you'd be happy, right? Okay. Or how about, how about an invitation to a wedding of a loved one? How about an invitation to, to a baby shower, an invitation to a special birthday party, or, or a graduation, or something that's special? We enjoy good invitations and good parties, do we not? It's exciting to get those. Now, how about, how, when was the last time that you didn't receive an invitation and you were hurt because you didn't get one to something special? Can you remember any of those, young people? Right? That doesn't feel good, all right? Well, today we are talking about the greatest invitation that, that we can experience, the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God. And even when King Jesus was here to give those invitations out, and he sent his messengers, his disciples out, and sends us out to do the same, even when he was here, there were people who responded favorably with joy, and they accepted those invitations, and there were people who rejected those invitations. And so we're going to look at Jesus's, at this scene in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus gets an invitation to join this group of religious people on a Sabbath day to have a meal with them. And he accepts the invitation and he's there. And so go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 14 as we look at this kingdom invitation. Starting in verse 1, and actually let me pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, would you speak to us, teach us about your kingdom. Teach us about you, God. Teach us about your way. Teach us about the power of your kingdom and the posture of your kingdom, the way of your kingdom, God. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Again, this was, this was a ruler of the Pharisees. This was a prestigious, respected person that Jesus was invited to dine with and have a meal with. And he actually accepted the invitation. He was a part of it. To dine with the ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And they took him, then he took him and healed him and sent him away. 
And they said to them, and he, he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 7. And now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at the table heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who, who will eat at eat bread in your kingdom or in the kingdom of God. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And they all alike began to make excuses. Sorry, let's see. Um, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And, and the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. Still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Here's our big idea. Jesus came and displayed the power of his kingdom. And he taught the posture of compassion, humility, hospitality, and responsibility. Now I wrestled with this big idea of trying to bring this whole section together in, in Luke chapter 14. But I think this does a decent job capturing the big idea here. Jesus came and displayed the power of his kingdom, and he taught the posture of compassion, humility, hospitality, and responsibility. Now, there's four lessons we're going to look at that we see here within this section. And the first one is the lesson of the healing. 
Jesus was at this dinner with the Pharisees and, and, and he had already healed people on the Sabbath, which really bothered the religious leaders. They were really irked by the fact that Jesus would have the nerve to do some kind of work on the Sabbath day, namely healing somebody. Okay? He seemed to be a transgressor of the law according to their interpretation of it. And it irked them. And so he gets this invitation. He shows up at this dinner. And lo and behold, there's a man with dropsy that's, that's sick. He has this, it, from what I read, it's this swelling uh, in the body that's painful. Of, there's, there's a fluid buildup. And there's this painful condition. And this man is here. Now, I don't know exactly why he was here, but Jesus sent them away afterwards. Perhaps it seems like that the Pharisees may have been setting Jesus up for a, for a trap. It says that they watched him carefully. They were watching him carefully. What's he going to do? Is he going to work on the Sabbath right here in front of these religious leaders? And so Jesus sees them. And before he heals the man... He asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, I think it's interesting that these know-it-alls, these Pharisees and, and lawyers, were, were silent. They didn't have anything to say in that moment. I'm sure they had an opinion. Like, show us what you're going to do. Right? Okay? And so they remained silent, and then he took them and he healed them, and he sent them away. And they said, and then he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And then again, they could not reply to these things. You see, this was a common thing. If, if one of these religious leaders had a son or an animal that fell into a ditch on a Sabbath day, they would clearly get that thing out of there or get their son out of there. And Jesus is likening that situation to what he was doing and healing this man who was being afflicted by sickness. And he's exposing their hypocrisy. He's exposing their callousness and their lack of compassion. And in this healing, we see the power of the king put on display because Jesus was able to make sickness leave physical bodies. And that was a part of the kingdom coming on earth. And one day, he will remove all sickness of those who are part of his kingdom. And there will be no suffering, no sickness, no disease. And this is a taste of the kingdom of God coming on earth. Here's the one who has the power to heal sickness. We see the power of the kingdom displayed in this moment. And Jesus has the authority to heal even on the Sabbath. In this moment. And Jesus has the compassion. He cares enough. He's willing to heal this man of his affliction. Even at the risk of upsetting the religious community that's there watching him carefully. I love how Jesus is able to silence his critics and outsmart them when they come against him and when they try to trap him and when he's in difficult situations he knew how to answer wisely he spoke as one with authority not as the scribes and the pharisees matthew tells us and so we see here that jesus 
is displaying his power. And he has the authority to, to, to heal. He has the compassion to heal. He has the power to heal. Then we see he teaches them about the lesson of humility. So he's at this dinner. He's at this meal. And he sees folks elbowing their way to the best seats at the table. Okay? And, it, and it, it displeases him. He's bothered by it. So he's going to address it. He's going to address the problem, the elephant that's in the room. This is not very godly to work your way to the front. The way of the kingdom is the first shall be last and the last will be first. Right? The way of the kingdom is humble yourself and you will be exalted. And so he teaches a lesson on humility. Jesus was powerful. And he had authority, but he was humble. He came as a humble king who came to serve. As, a, as one, the Son of Man, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And he humbly did that. He humbly associated himself with lowly people who were in need of a physician, in need of help, in need of Healing, And so Jesus teaches these guys a lesson about humility. He's the greatest example we have of humility. According to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross. And so this is what he tells them. He says, when you're invited by someone at a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Rather, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Okay, kids, this is important, all right? This is important with your brothers and sisters when it's mealtime or when you're getting in line, all right? Don't, don't elbow your way to the front of the line and, and not consider your younger brother or sister. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is being considerate of other people around you, especially those who are weaker or underprivileged. And so Jesus is teaching these religious men about humility. And this is what he says. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Right? You want to you sit at the highest place? You want to you, you, you you fight for the, the honorable seat? Then you're going to experience some dishonor, some humiliation if you're fighting for that. Rather, it's better to let God exalt you. It's better to let the, 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 the uh, host of the house to, to say, hey, come sit up here rather than you exalt yourself. He who humbles himself will be exalted. One theologian, Darrell Bach, says this, that humility means not reflecting social snobbery, not exalting oneself, and not thinking of one's own gain. J.C. Ryle says this, he's, and he speaks about the root of humility. Do you know, do you want to know what the root and the spring of, of humility? Do you want to know the root and the spring of humility? One word describes it. The root of humility is right knowledge. The person who really knows himself in his heart and who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ, the price at which he was redeemed, that person will never be a proud person. You see, pride has a way of damaging relationships. What's the middle letter in the word pride? It's I. It's all about me, myself, and I. It doesn't think of others adequately. 
things of self, of I. And what it does is it blinds us. It blinds us to the needs of those around us. It blinds us to seeing the glory of God because we're, we're so caught up in our own self-importance. J.C. Rowell goes on and he says that ignorance, nothing but sheer ignorance, ignorance of self, of God, and of Christ is the real secret to pride. And so this is something that we want to be intentional about acknowledging, confronting, repenting of as the people of God. Unfortunately, this has been a trend amongst religious circles throughout history. Pride. And self-righteousness. In Luke chapter chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a, about a, a tax collector and a Pharisee who both went to the temple. And, and they were both praying. And the tax collector's prayer was, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, the, and the, the Pharisee's prayer was, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast and I pray. And he trusted in his own righteousness. And Jesus asked this question, who do you think walked away justified? The self-righteous man, the religious man, the proud man? Jesus says, no. The, the tax collector, the sinner, the one who humbly acknowledged he had sinned before God and needed mercy. And Jesus repeats this statement about humility and pride. He says, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. And so Jesus teaches us this is the way of the kingdom, the way of humility. As a matter of fact, it is what, what he requires of those who will even enter into the kingdom. According to Matthew chapter 18, he said, unless you become converted and become as humble as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? And so he calls us to this posture of humility. This posture of humility, of recognizing his place as the, the king and recognizing our place in his kingdom. And so he also teaches about hospitality. And I love this. And I want to spend a little more time here on this particular section. And I quoted this last week because last week we talked about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, who was crippled in his feet and had lived his life in obscurity in a barren place for quite some time. And then King David calls for him not to kill him because he was a part of Saul's house, but to invite him into the table, to, to give him his inheritance and, 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 and give him the needs that he had, meet the needs that he had. He calls Mephibosheth up. And I quoted this as, a, as an application last week. And Jesus teaches this lesson. And this, this must have, by the way, this must have been offensive. To, to, the, to the host at the dinner party. He said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. Why is he saying that? Is Jesus against inviting your friends or neighbors over for dinner? Is he teaching that? Like, don't ever invite your friends or neighbors or family to dinner. No, he's not teaching that. But what he is teaching is don't invite people over merely so that you can get repaid by their hospitality and generosity. That's not genuine love. That's not genuine hospitality. That's what I describe as love with a hook. But Jesus says this, when you give a feast, 
Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of the things that comes clear through the life and example of Jesus is how he served and moved towards the marginalized and the underprivileged. It bothered the religious community that he was so inclusive to those outsiders that they deemed as unworthy and unclean. But he invited them in and he actually went looking for them. He counted them as worth seeking out. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He was about that. That's why he was a preacher and he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom everywhere. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed and delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. And so here in this moment, he's teaching a lesson of hospitality. We, as his followers, are to be the most humble and the most hospitable people because we have been welcomed by our great and gracious and humble king. He says that you will be repaid in the resurrection. You will be repaid. There will be a reward when you do this, when you show hospitality to people who can't really pay you back. And invite you back over to their house. Alright? Then, then you're going to get a reward before God. God delights in this. He sees us. This is the heart of God. John Piper puts it like this in talking about the joy of hospitality. He says, therefore, when we practice hospitality, here's what happens. We experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. I love this because Jesus says you will be blessed if you do this, if you extend hospitality to other people who are underprivileged and marginalized, who are poor. You will find joy and you will get eternal reward in doing so. We want to be like this here at City Church. We're about loving people, knowing Jesus, loving people, and impacting the world. And he has invited us to the table, as I talked about last week. He has graciously called us into his family, into his kingdom. We have a place at the table. Our needs are met. He's given us a place. He's given us a purpose. He's given us a mission. And God forbid that we should become like cul-de-sacs that just take in the blessings, but have no outlet to serve and give to those around us. Like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea that has water flowing into it. Life flows into it, but there's no outlet. Therefore, everything in it dies. We're designed not only to be recipients of the grace of God, the blessing of God, but to be conduits of that grace and that blessing. We do that through our family. We do that through outreach. We do that through living in community, our church family. We're designed for this, and this is for our joy. And this is strategic for evangelism. And it has been since the first century, even, even since Jesus, it, with Jesus' model. 
he reached people by welcoming them. Now he didn't have a he didn't have an earthly house to, to invite folks over for. He got invitations and he went, but he welcomed people to be a part of the kingdom. Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, hits on this. He says, the sheer informality and the relaxed atmosphere of the home, not to mention the hospitality which must often have gone with it, all helped to make this form of evangelism particularly particularly successful. There's a number of examples in the book of Acts of, of we see people opening up their home where believers could meet, where the message of, of the kingdom of God could be proclaimed, where people could be discipled. And one of that's, by the way, one of our strategies here at City Church. That's why we're big on home groups. And that's why we want to see more home groups, community groups started, and gatherings in the home where we are welcoming in one another. We are loving one another. We are caring for the needs of one another. We're encouraging one another, teaching one another the truth of the gospel. And that's a great space. If you want to be a leader here at City Church, that's a great space to step into and to lead, to open up your home or partner. If you don't have uh, adequate facilities to to host, uh, to partner with somebody else that does and that that could host and, and you can partner together. We want to see discipleship and mission advance through this here. And so... There's a, there's a woman who wrote a book, uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Have y'all read The Gospel Comes with the House Key? Anybody? Yes. My wife loves the book. She was a practicing homosexual, not walking with Jesus. And it was through the hospitality of some Christians who welcomed her in and have conversations and listen to her objections to Christianity and walk with her through the process and gave her a safe space to talk about the things, that, the issues that she has with Christianity. She became a Christian, now a Christian author, a writer who's impacted many. But it's through hospitality. And this is one of the quotes from her book. It says, radical ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and in deed. I love that. So our homes should be used, our resources should be used to show the love of Christ, okay, indeed, to show the love of Christ and to share the truth of Christ with people, okay? Philip Hughes says this about hospitality. He says, true hospitality springs from the limitless fountain of divine love manifested to us while we were estranged sinners, Romans 5, 8. And it must likewise be spontaneous, unforced, and free from reluctance. All right? like that right there. Free from reluctance. Uh, Peter tells us to show hospitality without grumbling. Why would he say that in 1 Peter chapter 4? Because there's this tendency to grumble when you're having, you're having people step into your space. And it's uncomfortable and there's a sacrifice. And you're like, oh, I just want my space. <laughs> Give me my space. <laughs> Right? Instead, we should not be reluctant. 
We should not be grumpy. We should not be coerced or forced to be hospitable. It should be something that the grace of God, a flow, an overflow of the grace of God that we've received from God himself into the lives of others. We've been welcomed by heaven. Therefore, Paul tells us in Romans 15, 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the posture of those who've been received by the king and who belong to the kingdom. They're humble and they're hospitable. This is how Jesus lived. This was the posture of the kingdom. He displayed the power of the kingdom in healing and he, and he taught the posture of the kingdom of Humility and hospitality here. And lastly, let me focus in on what I'm going to call the lesson of responsibility in this last section. The lesson of responsibility. Jesus taught these these convicting truths in the context of this dinner party with religious leaders. He addressed the host, confronted him, tells me he needs to do things different with the way he's being hospitable, Right? And and uh, and then perhaps this person speaks up to kind of lighten up the mood a little bit. I, in my imagination, imagination, that's what I that's what I picture. Then when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, what things? Well, the things that Jesus just said. He just kind of rocked the boat a little bit with the religious folk. When he heard these things, he said to him. Blessed is everyone who, who will eat, at, at bread, eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? Maybe a peacekeeper kind of guy. Don't, don't rock the boat. Let's smooth things out. It's going to be all right. And he makes this comment. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach about responsibility. Namely, the responsibility of receiving personally your invitation to the kingdom. He gives a, the story of a, uh, uh, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many. Obviously, this is referring to God's invitation that goes out freely to whosoever will respond, whosoever will receive. We, we're just, we are to get the invitation out. God sent his son Jesus to get the invitations out. Jesus sent his disciples to get the invitations out. Invite people. But there's different responses that we get. And here, Jesus is highlighting the response of rejection or uh, 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 excuses. He said, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And, and at the time of the banquet, for the banquet, for he sent his servants to say to those who have been invited, come, everything is now ready. Okay, now it's... In those days, there was a lot more work to prepare a banquet, a lot more work to prepare a meal. They probably didn't have the kind of storage we have for any leftovers. So if you were supposed to be at that banquet, you better show up at that banquet, you better eat that food, you better enjoy the blessing that you've been invited to. When one of, um, and, and, and so Jesus gives this story here. Now let me just talk about, first of all, what I think is happening here. And I want to highlight this. Whether this is the case here or, or, or not, I want to address the mistake of assumption. The mistake of assumption. Because at the end of this parable that Jesus tells, he, he explains a little bit here. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited, those who made excuses, will, will taste of my banquet. You see, they didn't respond 
appropriately to the invitation to the banquet. And therefore, they won't get to experience the take the benefit of being at the banquet. So here, here's the lesson. Don't assume that you will be in the kingdom based on your heritage or your good works. This was a common misconception amongst Jewish people who were born into the right family, the right lineage. John the Baptist addressed it. He said, don't think just because you're sons of Abraham that you're good. You need to repent, right? And, and Jesus is addressing it here. Don't just think because you're, you're of Jewish lineage and you're amongst a religious group that you're in. Like, yes, the, the, the statement is true. Blessed or happy is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. That is true. But it, it may not necessarily be true of everyone who can acknowledge that, right? It may not be true of those who are born into a Christian family. You see, children, if you're born into a Christian family, that doesn't automatically make you a Christian. You've got to be born again. You've got to receive your invitation to the kingdom. You've got to receive your invitation to God's family by faith. You can't get in on your mom and dad's invitation. God has a personal invitation for you that you have to respond to. You have to believe him. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your king, as your Lord and Savior. So don't make the mistake of assuming that you'll be in the kingdom, which, by the way, he describes it as a great banquet. Revelation 19 does the same thing. There will be some chowing down in heaven. Okay, don't give in to the, the, the misconception that we're going to be some disembodied spirit floating around. There will be food in the resurrection. And it will be good food at the resurrection. We will feast at the king's table in the resurrection. By the way, Jesus had breakfast with his disciples after he was resurrected. Just a reminder, like he, he was resurrected with a physical body and we will get physical, but renewed bodies at the resurrection. Resurrected bodies. And so also, there's the mistake of avoidance with excuses. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on here, because here goes the issue. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue here, right? There are people here in this story who made excuses. I've, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Okay, now who buys a field and hasn't looked at it first? First of all, now these excuses don't sound very good to me. I don't like it when I hear excuses that are not good. All right. Uh, I got all kinds of words I could describe these, these uh, excuses, but I'm not going to. Uh, I bought a field. First, let me go look at it. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I must go examine them. Like, come on. There's a banquet here. And then this last one sounds like the worst of all. Uh, I, hey, I, ha I married a wife and therefore I can't come. <laughs> what? Like, bring her to the banquet. Come on, wives. I mean, how many of y'all enjoy a good banquet, a good dinner with your husband? Free food? Like, show up to the party? Like, come on. Come on. Enjoy the banquet, right? These are excuses that, that aren't legitimate. As, uh, as Billy Sunday described... Uh, excuses. He, he said that he described them as the skin of reason stuffed in a lie. Excuses are the skin of reason stuffed 
and a lie. So these are excuses that people gave not to receive this kingdom invitation. And so don't avoid the invitation to the kingdom with excuses. Let's not be a people full of excuses. By the way, God forgives sins, not excuses. All right? And dealing with your sin, don't make excuses for them. Try to cover up like Adam and Eve with the, their fig leaves. Try to cover up, trying to hide. You know, Jesus' blood is enough to cover us. Jesus' righteousness is like the, the pure wedding garment that we can put on and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so let us not be a people who make excuses. And so, so here we see that every person is responsible for personally accepting the invitation of the kingdom of God by receiving Jesus as their king, confessing him as their Lord, believing in him, and turning away from their sin. See, we're responsible to respond to the kingdom invitation personally. Don't make excuses. If you're here today and you're not walking with Jesus, you don't know him yet, you haven't surrendered to him as king, don't wait. Don't make excuses. Don't avoid it. And don't assume that if you're in a Christian family that you're automatically in the kingdom. You need Jesus to be your king, your savior, your rescue. Lastly, for, and this is going to speak to most of us, there's also the responsibility of getting the message out. Okay? There's the responsibility of you and I, Christians, who have received his invitation to go out and invite others. How could we not tell others about this great banquet, this great party that they can be a part of? Folks in the world love parties, right? And they're missing out on the greatest party ever that, that, that Christ is inviting us to. They won't leave you with a hangover. Notice he says, go out quickly. There's a sense of urgency in this parable. Go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled, the blame and the one, the, the blind and the lame. Blame the blind and the lame. Bring the lime too for the party. Put it on the, the tacos. All right. Uh, go bring them out. He's already mentioned the poor and the crippled, right? He's already mentioned that that should be our posture towards being hospitable towards the underprivileged, right? Those who are experiencing difficulty in life. He also says in verse 23, go out to the highways and the hedges. Now listen to this. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. There's a sense of urgency there. There is a sense of insistence there. Like you must be here. You must be here. Now, we don't physically force people. We don't manipulate people to come to church or to become Christians. Right? There have been people throughout church history that have tried to make Christianity work like that. That's not how we advance the mission of God. We are to be compelling through persuasive reasoning with one another. Appealing to one another. Presenting the invitation. Like, hey, look at this. Don't miss out on this. Don't miss this. And so we got to get the message out. Every Christian is called to share the message of the gospel and invite people into God's kingdom or God's family. We have been given a message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. Now we're ambassadors. We're his representatives. And we are to go share that message with others. 
and tell others about the good news. And what a joy it is. What a joy it is to see people respond and experience the, the joy of salvation. To see families restored, marriages restored, families healed, people set free from addiction. I mean, yesterday we were talking about our testimonies in 15 seconds, and Tim Tim Parker just kind of put his together with a few words with, with Jacob and, 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 and just hearing. And just in 15 seconds, this is what God had done for me. I was, I was addicted. I was lost. And I found freedom through Jesus when I heard the good news, something along those lines. And just knowing his story, knowing what God has done in his life. And there's many of us, others here, who have that story. Do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that when you were lost, when you were out there, when you were without purpose, when you were hurting? When you were discouraged and Christ came and he entered into the history and broke into the history of your life and changed the trajectory of your life. Let us be those who are compelled with the love of Christ to compel others to come in while there is time. And by the way, right now is a great time. When things are shaking up, as the Bible says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, right? We shouldn't just, just be comforted by that. We should let others know there is some stability. There is salvation. There is rescue in Jesus, through Jesus. Let's get the message out. And so let me close with a couple points, several points of application. The first one is humbly choose love for people over love for position, power, and popularity. Okay, this is something Jesus was teaching the religious community here. Humbly choose love for people over the love for position, the love for power, the love for popularity, instead of everybody trying to get everybody to see you and everybody to like you and everybody to listen to you. Choose to love people. That's the way of the kingdom. It was the way of Jesus. Be aware of self-importance that blinds you to the needs of others and blinds you to the heart and the mission of God. I mean, how are we using our time and our resources to reach those who need Jesus? When was the last time we invited somebody who doesn't know Jesus into our home for a meal or invited them into a conversation about the most important things in life? death. You see, I realize that fear is one of the greatest barriers for many Christians in sharing the good news, not sharing the good news, right? But I also realize that pride is another great barrier, that we don't want to be rejected, we don't want to be thought low of or humiliated, and there's been many times where I've been just kind of humbled as I take a risk to be rejected, to talk to somebody about Jesus, then it usually does not feel good. Sometimes it does feel good. It's like, yeah. Like that was, I was really loving this person and, and like God sees that. And, but, but most of the time it does not feel good. It just, it's like, oh, my ego's hurt. My pride's hurt. You know, but it, they are worth it and Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it that we, that we reach across Walk across the street, walk across the table, uh, not the table, walk across the room. 
And we have conversations with people because we love them. We, we can kind of forget about ourselves in the healthy sense and just, like, I'm going to love this person. And know that the Lord will reward you for service to the poor and the underprivileged. Know that God sees that. I mean, there's plenty of scriptures on that. He who, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. The scripture tells us. Right? There's a number of scriptures that we can look at on that. And then challenge the excuses that get in the way of people accepting invitations to the kingdom of God. Or those excuses that hinder you and I from extending those invitations to others. Let's challenge those. Let's push back. Like, Man, why, why do I not want to do that? Why is that so hard for me? Let's challenge that. Jesus did. He did with the religious leaders in their day. And, and, and his life challenges us. He lived on mission, spreading the news everywhere. Two more. Invite the underprivileged and non-Christians into your home, to your church, to show them love and to share the truth of the gospel. You don't have to choose one or the other. You can do both. And Jesus did both. He showed them love. He shared the truth. He showed them love. He shared the truth. And be like Jesus and go out to share the gospel and invite people into God's kingdom. Now, we have a few opportunities coming up within the next few weeks to do this. Tuesday is Halloween. And if you have a home, you, then you're probably going to have some little kids, families knocking on your door, asking for some candy, all dressed up, looking cute. You may not know them, right? What other time of year do we get people who don't know Jesus come to our door looking for something sweet? And you and I got something to give. Not just candy, but the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let's be ready for that. You got folks that are going to show up at your door? Let's get some good candy. You may want to give, you know, there's a little, we, we talked about the bracelet. You can you get some of these tools, uh, some gospel tracts, or just ask how you can pray for people when they come up and talk to them. My son, I was encouraged that my son was like, hey, dad, are we going to do that again this year? I'm like, yeah, we should do that again this year. I wasn't sure. I didn't have my plan set, but my son said, that. I'm like, yes, we're going to do that again. It's going to be cold. We might not have as many people, but let's do it. Let's let our light shine in the darkness on Halloween. Okay, we also have a dental day coming up. We have some friends. Uh, we have a friend who's a dentist, and she's getting her other friend who's a dentist. We did, did this a few years ago. And, and we had like 50 people come in here and get teeth pulled. All right? And we were able to share the gospel and pray with people and hear their stories and share our stories with one another. Exchange. Um, and, and, and we have, right around this church, there's a lot of homeless community. There's a lot of folks who could use some dental work done. And we, actually, yesterday, we discovered one of the camps right back here. And I, I, re, okay, I realized there's a target we're going to bring some invitations to. We're going to invite them. Um, and so we would love to have a team here ready to welcome and love on whoever shows up for the dental day at 9 o'clock on November 11th. We would love you to be a part of that. So let us know if you can make it even for just a part of it. You don't have to be there for the whole thing. Just show up and, and love on some people. Comfort them as they're getting their tooth pulled, as they may be feeling fear with, with it or afterwards pain uh, going through it. I'm not sure if there's going to be any, um, what, what kind of uh, meds for that. But um, and, then, and then lastly, 
check, check this out. This is a big one. Every month, Kasten and Nikki are leading an evangelistic meeting in their apartments where they are showing hospitality and love, caring for those within their apartments, providing a space for people to connect. And every one of you are invited to show up and have conversations with people at the apartments, pray for people, talk to people, invite them to church or hear their story. They may go to church. Uh, but we've had some great conversations, and Cass and Nikki have some great stories that have resulted from them laboring there at, at Lakeside Apartments. Parkside Apartments, thank you. Um, so talk with them about that. When's the next outreach? Uh, when's the next meeting? Halloween. Halloween, there you go. So Tuesday, if you, if you don't have a place to go Halloween and you don't have trick-or-treaters coming to your house... You can come to Kasten and Nikki's. By the way, they are living, what I'm talking about here today, they are living that out well. I'm so encouraged by the way that both of you have shown hospitality and love to your neighbors, the way that you're sharing the truth of the gospel, the way that you're growing in the Lord and you're making sacrifices to honor Him and to love people, help people. And so that's how I want to, that's what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back, by the way. I want to be sold out, giving myself to him and his purposes, loving and serving people, ready, preparing the way for others for Christ coming. Amen? Amen. And so let me let us close in, in prayer here. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us a mission, you've given us purpose. 